we kind of have to be able to sit with the uncertainty, even though our mind tends to grasp for, well, okay, but tell me the answer, right? We want certainty. We just have to accept that no, the true answer is I don't know and nobody knows. And yes, a bunch of people are going to be right about whatever they're talking about right now by chance, but the truth is I don't know and they don't know either. Hello, I'm Shane Bach and I'm Oliver Cowlishaw and in this episode we're going to be talking a little bit more about the strategy, how to handle this strategically, this times of uncertainty. In the last episode we talked about what you actually do more on a personal level with your habits, doubling down on your, your good behaviours, stopping procrastinating, that kind of thing. In this episode we're going to be talking about the strategy, going into the, the nitty gritty, what exactly you do as an entrepreneur during this time of crisis. So to get started, I think we should talk about uncertainty. In a crisis, what we have is increased uncertainty. The bedrock of any good strategic decision-making, right? any good decision-making that will lead to a positive outcome for your business and your life, the bedrock of that has to be understanding uncertainty because I think that is the, the most unintuitive thing about what's happening. I think intuitively, we always, we always want to know the answer, right? We like to know the answer. We like to know, um, we like to have certainty. And I think we see that right now in the crisis, we see a lot of that. Uh, it's often, in fact, I mean, it's often like the pundits, the experts job is to, is to pick one possible outcome and talk about it as if it was certain, right? So you have people saying, oh, for sure, you know, in two months, everything will be fine. You have other people saying, oh, for sure, this is the end of capitalism. Everything is going to collapse. You have people saying, oh, for sure, because I'm young and I don't have any sim or don't have any comorbidities or whatever they're cost called. I'm going to be fine. People want to hang on to anything that gives them a sense of certainty. And it's, it's difficult to understand what does it actually mean for things to be uncertain. As a very simple analogy, if you think about stock market investing, if you, if you ask, well, is the stock market going to go up or down? The truth is, we don't know. Nobody knows. But what we, what we kind of want is, well, okay, nobody knows, but is it going to go up or down? <laughs> right? It's like, give me the answer. Just tell me, right? <laughs> and, but of course, that doesn't work. And, but the problem is that when we look back, so right now, if you ask me, you know, is the stock market going to be up or down a week from now? Like, well, it looks like probably down, but we don't know. We don't know. A week from now, you look back and you'll be like, well, it went down. Obviously, it went down. You know, things were bad and they kept being bad. Obviously, they went, it went down. But also a week now, maybe it's gone up a little bit and you'd say, well, you know, it kind of crashed so hard that, you know, it, it was... Basically, it was too little confidence in the market. And of course, it was going to rebound a bit, right? Mm. In retrospect, whatever happens, you can easily tell a story that explains why the line went up or down, right? Yeah. And that fools us because, because in retrospect, we can tell a simple story that explains what happens. We're like, well, what's the simple story that explains what's going to happen next? <laughs> why can't you just do this for the future, right? And this is where it misleads us. We basically think that we can look at the past and see how things happened in the past and use that to predict how things are going to happen in the future. But as we know, uh, if we actually look at, at data, humans are extremely bad at doing this, right? <laughs> and a great book on this, by the way, is uh, Super Forecasters by Philip Tetlock, I believe. Um, and again, we put links to all this stuff, including books where I pick the wrong or match the wrong author to the book, which happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. That talks about how bad we really are at forecasting and, and, how, and why we're so easily misled by seeming experts who you know, confidently proclaim this, this or that is going to happen next. And even if they're wrong a hundred times in a row, they still, get, you know, they still appear on the news to make their next confidence prediction. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy, but 
it's, it's because we're so poorly suited, like the human brain is just not suited to, to deal with what does it actually mean for there to be so much volatility and uncertainty. Mm, and, that, and that's um, what came up for me just then was an explanation for why we are drawn to uh, confidence, like, a, a, polit like a, a political leader that's really confident in what they're saying. Even though experts could say that what this person's talking about is nonsense, but if this person's confident, mm. then we're naturally drawn to that. Yeah. It's, it's as though we, humans, we, we, we struggle to tolerate uncertainty. Absolutely. So we, we lean towards anything that could potentially uh, symbolize certainty in the midst of all the chaos. Yeah. Yeah, and if you and we can take this further because if you think about well, how does confidence-based expertise work? Well, you know, if if you and me now make a prediction and I say confidently, definitely the stock market's going to go up, and you say definitely it's going to go down, well, one of us is going to be right. Yeah, one of us is going to be right, and that gives you one further. That's like one stepping stone to confidence-based expertise. So, and then we can keep doing that, right? We keep making predictions, and eventually both of us are going to be wrong, but. Now multiply that, what if you have a thousand experts? Everybody makes essentially random predictions based on confidence. And as time goes on, more, of, more and more of them fall out of the race essentially because they're proven wrong. But some of them will just by pure dumb luck be right again and again and again and again, right? And again, in the stock market, this happens a lot. You'll have like a superstar rising, you know, with a new model of, of predicting the stock outcomes and they become essentially a superstar, right? They write a book about how to predict the stock market or whatever, and it, their method works until it doesn't work anymore, right? <laughs> At some point, it just falls off a cliff, and that's the reason. It's, it's just confidence-based expertise. You just had a lucky streak, basically, right? It's very difficult to, to acknowledge that this is what's happening and say, okay, what's actually happening, the reality is we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. And this is more true now. So in times of greater uncertainty, in times of greater volatility, in times of crisis, it's more true. Or the, the range of possible outcomes that we can't really predict well is greater than it usually is. And by the way, one exercise I think that is useful for this, as a, or just as a thought experiment, is you can think about potential future headlines that you might read that, are, that say the opposite of each other, but that are both equally plausible. So if we bring it back to like, online business, online entrepreneurship, right? Imagine a few months from now, reading a headline that says, um, e-learning in crisis, right? As, uh, as the economy is hit hard, people start spending only on necessities and your online course about how to do makeup or, or how to do yoga or whatever is not on anyone's priority. Uh, anyone doing online courses, anyone in the online uh, course business is struggling. You can imagine that happening, right? Hmm. That would sound like if you read that with those explanations, it's like, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, in, a, in an econ economic crisis, people aren't spending money on this stuff anymore. Everybody's only spending money on food and toilet paper. Makes sense. But equally, think about the opposite headline, which says e-learning soars. As everyone is moving everything online, people suddenly need to acquire new technical skills, which they do through online courses. Uh, people are suddenly stuck at home where, what are you going to do? Well, you might as well learn something useful. E-learning businesses take off. Sounds plausible too, right? <laughs> Both of them. Both of them sound equally plausible. And that's, that's kind of an exercise you can do, right? If someone makes a confident prediction and tells you the story of why it's going to be like that, just think about, well, what would, what would the opposite headline of the future be? And could there also be a simple story that explains why it unfolded like this? And that can kind of illustrate how, oh yeah, both of these make about equal amounts of sense. So the difficult thing is, 
to first understand that this is what uncertainty means, is there is a lot of I don't know. And it means that we kind of have to be able to sit with the uncertainty, even though our mind tends to grasp for, well, okay, but tell me the answer, right? We want certainty. We just have to accept that no, the true answer is I don't know, and nobody knows. And yes, a bunch of people are going to be right about whatever they're talking about right now by chance. But the truth is, I don't know, and they don't know either. And right now, we have tons of uncertainty, right? Um, we, we know that we're in a recession. We know that we have a health problem and a healthcare systems problem. We have no idea how bad it's going to get. We can assume that it's going to get a lot worse than it is right now. Um, but we don't know how bad it's going to get. Um, and we don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know, you know which sectors of the economy are going to be impacted most or least. We don't know how long this thing is going to take and how bad it's going to get. We just don't know. And again, if, if you're thinking, well, but can't we, you know, we can't we run numbers and I've seen graphs and so on. Well, just keep one thing in mind. We have no idea how many people have this virus. We have no idea. The, the only thing that we can be fairly sure about is that the reported numbers are orders of magnitude lower than the actual case numbers. Because we don't have enough testing capacity in most countries and a lot of people have mild symptoms, so they might never show up um, in, in official reports, but they can still walk around and infect each other. And the only reason I'm talking about this, right, because like I said in the last episode, we're not going to talk about like the medical issues or anything, but just think about, we don't know how many people have the virus. That would be a fairly important thing to know <laughs> in order to make predictions about what's going to happen next, right? But we don't know that. <laughs> so in a way, we don't know the first thing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know how many people currently have it. And we don't know how many people are going to have it. Yeah. We just, there's just so many variables that we just, mm -hmm. we just don't know. So we've established from this that we just, we just don't know. Yeah. And we need to sit with that. So what do we do strategically? How do we cope? How do we manage this? I mean, I guess that is a way of grasping for certainty. Because there must be, yeah. there, there surely are better things to do than, than, than others. Yeah. Yeah. So in some cases, um, in some cases, in times of great uncertainty, it can be a good idea to not make a move at all. That's the first thing I want to quickly talk about. Because, for example, with, with the stock market, right, right now, uh, things are plummeting, things are looking bad. A pretty good thing to do right now is nothing. Right? If you've got money in the stock market right now, don't sell. Right? <laughs> don't realize your loss. If you haven't got money in the stock market right now, maybe don't try to catch a falling knife. Right? right now is probably a pretty good time to just do nothing. So in some cases, that is like, okay, making no move while things are just so chaotic can be a good choice. But on the entrepreneurial side, and especially if, you, uh, if, you really if you're in a situation where you have to replace your income somehow, not making a move is not an option. So then we have to think about, well, okay, how can we make a move? How can we make the strategically right move in this uh, environment of extreme uncertainty? Now, I'm going to reference something that I uh, talked about in a previous video. I'm going to link to that, so I'm not going to explain the whole thing. But I gave kind of a method of how to calculate what I call your runway score. And your runway score is essentially to figure out you know, how much, how much time and capacity do I have before I'm in crisis? You know, it takes into account, like, do you have money saved up? Like, can you, you know, even if your income is down at zero, can you keep paying your bills for several months, for example? But it also takes into account, like, how much, how much technical aptitude do you have to learn new things and learn new marketing skills and things like that? That's one of the things that is a good tool for decision making right now is to know how, do I have a long runway or do I have a short runway? In other words, do I have to start making more money right now in order to pay the bills next week? Or can I 
build something up? Can I work on my business for a few weeks or a few months uh, to, to build a new income source, for example, before I run into trouble? That's an important thing to know. Hmm. So we're going to refer to yeah the, the short runway versus the long runway as we go through this, because that, that's important. Not for the, the same decision is not going to be valid for every kind of entrepreneur and for every person, right? So that's, that's another kind of strategic piece put in place. In times of uncertainty, let's, let's talk about what is, a, what is a strategic approach that is more likely to be uh, useful than not. So a mistake to make is to be overly confident. A mistake to make is to mistake uncertainty for certainty, right? That's a mistake to make. But what can we do that is actually, that kind of helps us? Right now, in times like this, there's increased value in being able to move lean and fast. What does it mean to, to move lean and fast? Let's, let's take an example of Let's say you are like a yoga instructor and obviously, you know, your whole business is about people gathering in groups, essentially, which now you cannot do. Okay. You can think about, well, can I do online classes? And the question is, if I move my classes online, if I basically tell people, hey, you can continue, we can continue doing yoga together, but you just do it at home, you know, through an online meeting or something. Um, will people, first of all, will people continue to pay their membership? if I give them access to online classes in return? And secondly, can I maybe even attract new clients who would be willing to do this and who'd be willing to pay for this? Now, in, in a more normal economic environment, we could do some market research, we could look at other examples and so on. We could, we could make a relatively confident prediction about whether this is gonna work or not. Hmm. But in times of uncertainty, the answer is, if you ask me, is this gonna work or not? The answer is, I don't know. And so there's great value in being able to move fast and move lean, which is to say to implement something quickly and without blowing a load of money on it. In other words, if you can be like, okay, this Wednesday, we're doing a yoga class online. I immediately, through whatever means I can, I immediately contact all of my clients, tell them about this, I give them a Zoom link or whatever they can join. And somehow, you know, maybe with my phone or with my laptop, I make it happen somehow so that we have some semblance of a yoga class online and I can do it yeah, two days from now, then I immediately get an answer from my customer base. You know, Because if half the people in my customer base show up for this class, great, good sign. If only two people show up, bad sign. But I can get that answer, I can get that yes or no answer very quickly and without spending a ton of money. Because the mistake that you could make is, okay, how do we move our business online? And then invest in, okay, I'm gonna get cameras, I'm going to get you know a great like video and audio setup, and I'm going to get I don't know a green screen and God knows what right. And I'm going to invest all this time and all this money, and so then a month later and several thousand dollars later, then I finally start my class and nobody shows up. Well, that was an expensive and long-winded way to get an answer of no that you could have gotten really quickly. Right? Mm. So it's been it's about being quick to implement. Yeah, uh, getting stuck in implementing stuff and then finding out what works and what doesn't rather than trying to predict what might work mm. um, and you can't really do that obviously because times are so uncertain exactly and not only that if you're trying to predict what would work you'll you'll in a you'll, you'll almost certainly be trying to use or subconsciously use models that worked before exactly because these are just rap like rapidly changing in really uncertain times mm. it's like you can't really help it you'll, you'll be using models that worked before but rather than um, the best thing to do would be to implement and then take action and then you, you work out what work you find what works based on the data yeah. that you collect. Yeah. And, and another thing about uncertain times is like 
usually, and this is where it's different from the usual lean startup approach. Like usually what you can do is you can try out your online yoga class. And if you get the yes signal, you can be like, if, if people are willing to pay for this and do this now, they're still going to be willing to pay for it and do it two months, six months, two years from now, right? Because it's smooth sailing. Whereas now, maybe now some people join your class and next month they won't because things have just changed so much, right? And again, instead of, instead of wasting all that time where you could have gotten some classes in, you could have kept your income going before it dropped off another cliff or whatever happens, right? Instead of wasting that time, at least you, you do what you can in the time where you can do it before things change again and blow up in your face, potentially, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's another, and that's another difference where if we think about the lean startup, which again, in, in normal times, in non-crisis times is a great approach. And let's take the, the example of Buffer. So Buffer, the social media app, has to me like the, the perfect model of a, of, a, of a lean startup because what they did before they wrote any code, they basically made a landing page that said, hey, you know, uh, sign up to get the simple way to uh, schedule tweets automatically. That was like the first feature they had, right? Like schedule multiple tweets in advance. And they just made a landing page that advertised this product. And I think they even sent to a pricing page to see if people would, you know, click the buy button. But as soon as you click the buy button, it was like, sorry, this actually doesn't exist yet, but sign up here and we'll notify you when it's done, right? That is a great lean startup story where they got a very strong signal from the market. It's like, yes, there's a lot of people who are willing to pay for this. And so they went ahead and, and built their software. I don't know how long it took, but you know, presumably a couple of months, maybe later, they actually, okay, now you can actually sign up for this thing. And again, now that approach is not a good idea because in the time between a lot of people saying, yes, I want this and you having a finished product, the whole situation might've changed three times over. So that's how this is different from the lean startup kind of model that we're used to from pre-crisis times, if you will. One way to think about this is to Think about it in terms of being resourceful. In the last episode, we talked about how you can kind of embrace the crisis situation as a thing that pushes you to recognize the real priorities. And similarly, something else that the crisis does like psychologically is it forces you to be resourceful because you have to think about, okay, how can I make it happen right now? Instead of thinking, what's the ideal outcome? What's the ideal solution? What, you know, what tools and software and stuff do I need? And then assembling all that and then doing something. Think about, okay, if I'm, I'm stuck in my apartment, right? There's only so much I can do. What can I do with what I have? And there's great value in, in resourcefulness. So that's another book I'm going to link to. is a book called Stretch, which is all about resourcefulness, which is like how, in general, the less you have, the more creative you have to be. And sometimes that can be an asset. So sometimes you can actually, if you have a team of people working on a project, if you give them too many resources, if you just say, hey, you have a blank check and as much time as you want, that's a great way to, to ruin a project because it takes away all incentive to be creative and resourceful. Hmm. And normally that's kind of a balancing act we have to play. It's okay, I don't want to go overboard and give myself too much of a, of a monetary and time budget because then I'm just going to procrastinate. But I also don't want to constrict myself too much. You have to kind of do a balancing act. Well, now you're kind of forced. You just have to be resourceful. And, and see that as a potential advantage, right? And I have to be creative. I have to make it happen with whatever I have. Let's go. There's something that you mentioned a little while ago um, that I'd briefly like to just revisit again. You mentioned a short runway versus long runway. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about this, uh, the, the, the term wiggle room, breathing yeah. space yeah. came to mind. And I wanted just to, to revisit that because there'll be some people who may listen to this 
who are in a short runway situation and some people in a long runway situation. And I wanted just to th talk about what you do, some potential options are available to you if you're in a short runway situation versus a long runway situation. Yeah. So, so let's think about like, what's the, <laughs> like the worst possible outcome here. We, we talked in the last episode as well about like survival mode, right? The worst thing is if you're just in survival mode, you're like, I, I don't even know how to pay next week's bills and I, I have to survive somehow, right? And that's, that's an ultra short runway. It's basically I have to make money right now, which means that I can't really invest in building up an asset that will make money. I think a thing that we're seeing a lot of is, you know, people are, yeah, to pay the bills, I'm gonna start driving for Uber Eats, you know, because that's, there's more demand there. So there's some job openings there. And I think we've seen, we've seen like reshuffling of industry a little bit like that, where it's like, okay, some businesses are shutting down, but other businesses are, under especially stringent demand right now so basically go over there and go work over there okay that's a good way to keep surviving but it's essentially the worst situation to be in because if i'm if i was working on my online business but now i'm spending all day uh, driving deliveries i'm not building an asset right i'm not building an asset so so basically once the crisis passes i stop driving deliveries and i'm back to where i started right that's the worst situation. But if you're in, in this kind of, yeah, and if you're in survival mode, you have to find such a solution. Now, a slightly better example of, of a short runway solution would be if I've been working on an online business, but kind of in the long term, right? I'm like, I don't know, building a website with a long term view of turning that into a business somehow. And it's not there yet. It's not enough to sustain me yet. Then instead of kind of completely pivoting away from that and, and driving for Uber, if I can take some of my skills, let's say maybe I'm a good content marketer at this point because I've been writing a lot of blog posts, if I can start offering that as a service in order to, to keep paying the bills, that would be a slightly better solution because even though I'm no longer working on my own website, I'm basically working on other people's websites, at least I'm, I'm building a skill. So let's say we get, again, we get, to, we get through the crisis somehow and I can go back to work on my own business again, but now I have an extra, I have more practice and I have more skills that I can apply to my own business. So that puts me in a slightly better position than I was in the beginning. But again, like it's, and the question is like, can I do that? Are people willing to pay for something like marketing services, content writing, whatever? We just don't know. And again, the, the solution is move fast, right? Move fast, find out right now. So if you have a slightly longer runway, we can use the example of, of the, the yoga studio, right? The, the yoga instructor is like, okay, I can try and get online classes lined up you know, this week, next week, I have a bit of wiggle room, like you say, to make this happen. But again, if, if that's all I do, if all I do is I move my classes online and, you know, some people are going to participate, let's say that goes reasonably well, I can sustain myself. Well, the moment the, the crisis passes, everyone will want to come to the, to the live thing again, which is fine, but people will have fallen out of the habit of going to yoga. So I'll probably, I would predict that I'll probably lose some clients from that, right? And so again, so I've, I've managed to survive, but I kind of reset to slightly worse than things were before when the crisis passes. And that's just assuming that the crisis will like properly pass, right? Because again, we don't know what that's gonna look like, but let's say at some point it's like, okay, quarantine time is over. We go back to more or less normal. So I can survive, on a short runway, but I'm not building an asset that helps me later on. Another thing you could think of, and again, if you have a bit more wiggle room, a bit more runway, you could say, okay, we're gonna do our online classes, but while we're doing this, since we're already setting up to record stuff, 
let's think about recording some content that could be either like free content for marketing or it could be an online course of some kind, right? Where even after the crisis passes, that can still be an asset. Because if I have published a bunch of videos and people um, you know, find me on YouTube, that can drive people to my yoga studio. That, so I've created an asset that I didn't have before. And even more so, if I actually create an online course that people are interested in buying, that can, even if my studio reopens and I get that income source back, then I still have an extra asset of that course that can give me additional income. And essentially, the longer your runway is, the more you can think about how do I build up assets that are going to help me now and in the future. And that's kind of the luxury. Like in a long, with a long runway, you can think about building assets that are not only going to be useful while the crisis lasts, but that are still going to be useful in, a, in more normal economic circumstances as well. So any examples of that? Would that be sort of developing software perhaps? Um, some sort of, you know, just off the top of my head, just thinking, because more people are going to be using Zoom. Yeah. And so more problems are going to be emerging from, you know, more Zoom users. So you could potentially say, I'm going to make a Zoom alternative. Yeah. That's just exactly. one example that sprung to yeah. mind. That would be kind of, let's say, an obvious-ish solution, right? Okay, there's more demand for online meetings and so on. We could try to enter that market. And that's a very long runway solution because how long is it going to take you to, to build up a, a Zoom alternative, right? That's a, that's a big project. Now, that's not necessarily, that's not a bad idea, but you have to make sure that you're not just building that for the crisis, right? So you have to assume that, okay, now there's increased demand and I can try to enter this market that is full of competitors and I can try to outdo them somehow. But I have to expect that probably there's going to be a time when that demand slumps again. So it's almost like uh, you know, making an investment when you know it's going to go down in the future. And the, the question is, yeah, are you building an asset that's only going to work as long as everybody's quarantined at home? And if you're doing so because software is a, is a long runway solution anyway, right? You just cannot produce software that quickly. You have to really think about potentially by the time I release this, the crisis has passed. And is it still viable then? So one of the ways of thinking about this is in terms of probabilistic thinking, right? You think about possible outcomes, possible future outcomes. That's always a good idea for strategic thinking is to think, okay, here's my plan. Think about several possible future outcomes. You know, if this happens, does it still work? If that happens, does it still work? Now that's even more important. Let me put it like this, right? If I, if I launch a product under the Thrive Themes brand, for example, right? We, we launch a new plugin under Thrive Themes, then we have to consider it, it would be a mistake to just say, hey, this is going to be a smash hit. This plugin is going to be as successful as the most successful plugin we've ever sold. It would be a mistake to, to bet on that fully. In other words, like we, we go into debt to develop this plugin and then if it isn't a hit, we're in trouble and we go bankrupt. Hmm. That would be a terrible way of, of running a business, right? Because we have to consider, okay, we have to consider possible future outcomes. We have to consider how well will this sell if things go great? How well will it sell if one of our competitors releases a similar product before us? How well will things go if we just totally misjudge the market and people are just not as interested in this as we thought? And you can think of it as like branching paths of possible futures. And the question is like, can I survive in each of these scenarios, right? And for me, because I'm very risk averse, I generally only do something. I only go after something if the answer is yes, I survive in the best case scenario, I survive in a middle scenario, I survive in the worst case scenario. Now, in a time of crisis, I kind of have to widen that 
that range of possible outcomes. Because yes, it's possible that because of the way the world is changing, something will be an unexpected smash hit, that it's, that's kind of outside the, what I normally expect the range of possible outcomes to be. But it's also possible that things just go way worse, right? That by the time I release this, we're just in an economic wasteland and it's gonna be hard to find a customer anywhere, right? So I have to really widen that, that view of how good or how bad might things get and ask myself, you know, in this range, where do I still survive? And if you, if you have to be high up in the range of possible outcomes in order to survive, it's not a good idea to, to pursue that. All right, that's it for our second episode, but there is more on this. In episode number three, we will go into even more detail talking about potential business opportunities, potential startup opportunities, and kind of go into more specific examples of how to apply some of the strategies, the bigger picture strategies we talked about now. We'll go into some examples of how you might apply that in the crisis environment that we're in right now. So that is in the upcoming episode. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this video, Give it a like, share it with someone that you think could benefit from it and all that. We'd really appreciate that if you can help us spread this message. And also, if you have any questions about this, if there's anything that you want to contribute or ask, go ahead and ask away by leaving a comment. So thank you very much for watching and I'll see you in the next episode.